the definition for apocalypto is a new beginning or an unveiling. Unfortunately, to have a new beginning, something else has to end. And the Mayan Empire was one of the greatest civilizations in the history of the world. So you have to ask yourself, you know, what exactly happened to these people? What are the factors that allow a civilization to become wealthy and prosperous, and then, by the same token, allowed it to collapse? It was an interesting period at the end of a civilization that, in a strange way, had parallels to our civilization today. exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us, this is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here for a brief second. He had had dinner before joining the conversation here, and apparently someone had recommended the wrong part of the animal for him to eat, and he looked kind of green, uh, a little, little green. And this is why, folks, you should highly consider vegetarianism talking to myself as well in the meantime allow me to welcome you back into our series on learning how to lose titled in the morning this series is meant to help us meditate on loss as we navigate life inside of a pandemic giving even deeper resonance to our regular mantra of assessing what scares us to find what saves us if you want to know more about the thoughts and heart behind this series go back and listen to our infinity war conversation for a deeper discussion of what we are now talking about. But I'm getting ahead of myself because here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can listen to the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch some episodes of the fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of where you will find episode archives as well as merch, including cell phone cases and T-shirts and campaign buttons and face masks and read. Oh, read my brother from another father. Mother. No. Um, <laughs> you're back, buddy. You feel okay? You were Hi. looking a little, little peaked there. So um, culinary recommendation. Yeah. Um, if you are interested in trying a unique delicacy... I would not recommend the bladder. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Boo! Go for it! 
Mm, that's funny. Yeah, the bladder that that cannot be dangerous. Bladder. Yeah. So. So. Um, you'll, you'll yeah. Have, hey, man. You'll have a ball with that one. Uh, hey, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? What? What a day! What a year! What a life! It's been. Oh thing. man. Oh man. It's been crazy. Like listeners, listeners are not gonna know. Oh man. It's okay. So a little bit of off pod, just just reality. But on okay. Pod. So. But on pod. Okay. So, um, but it's like, you know, the, the world is crazy. Life is crazy. It's all just everything. Everything's just going nuts and crazy and, and it's just mayhem and everything. Right. And so <laughs> here at the, here at the fear of God, we like to just have a little fun. And when we, you know, when we get together, it's enjoyable and, and you never know the, you know, we were talking about those little choices, those little choices you make and how they turn on a dime. So last week, uh, Uh-oh. when we were recording, you know, um, I was having a little bit of fun with the the Zoom thing, and I was changing my name, mm-hmm. and was to, you know oh, like the Terminator, you, mm-hmm. right, 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 like Reed the Barbarian, and yeah. you know Conan the Terminator, whatever. So it eventually landed on Conan the Terminator, right? And I was like, oh, I'm so clever, it's so stupid. <laughs> so, so, so then, um, my wife is having her first staff meeting <laughs> with her <laughs> with her people, and all of a sudden. She starts seeing this thing where it's like, oh, no, like she starts getting feedback from like her boss and her coworkers are like, oh, no, we're getting Zoom bombed. Like like some robot <laughs> has Zoom bombed us. And the reason that and she was like panicking, like, oh, no, what's what's happening? And the reason was because they did not recognize her as Conan the Terminator. Right. Because sure, yeah. it, it yeah. had I had neglected to uncheck mm-hmm. the box yeah. that said, remember me. For my next meeting, and so it took them a full like thirty seconds before my wife finally realized, like, oh god, like really, <laughs> like why in the world yeah. is that? Like, yeah. And she so, needed a moment, and she's like, "I'll be back." <laughs> and <laughs> and her colleagues thought they were in unfriended three. No, it's true. It's the just darker, and so dark I was web. like. I was like, wow, okay, this is, yeah, so just, and you know, like, it's funny, our our relationship with technology, it doesn't always work the way that we want it to, it doesn't always do what we want it to do, but yeah, so is that. that. Well, that's a really fun anecdote, Riri. You know what else is fun? (laughs) (laughs) Business time. (laughs) It is business time. It's business time. You, (laughs) you need to remind us about... Book club, book club. So book I've been very, club. I've been very delighted. We've had a couple of listeners um, post on our Facebook group. If you got a Facebook, join the Facebook group. But they've posted on Facebook where they've said that they've procured a copy of Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. I'm so excited for that because it's just exciting. a couple of weeks. I don't have my yes. copy yet. I gotta oh, get it. Man. I gotta get on it. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to start reading it. Um, I thought I just phoned it in. <laughs> yeah, just eh, I think yeah. something happens. There's a horse uh, on the cover. Let me guess. Yeah. Something wicked. It shows up this way, this way, and book's done. Good done. story. <laughs> it's a great story. Would recommend. So, uh, <laughs> so that's full of substance. <laughs> so, um, no. So, sincerely, uh, if you have not yet either uh, engaged with your public library to pick up a copy or procured one, a hard copy, or, which I highly recommend. Um, or got it digitally somehow, um, pick up a copy of Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury because that is how we are going to be spending our October. We've got a few fun little uh, actual you know, cinematic uh, episodes that we're going to have, but along the way, we're going to be reading through Something Wicked This Way Comes. So you don't have much time. 
go ahead and pick up the copy. We will alert you to how many pages you need to read uh, to be prepared for each episode, um, or go ahead and read it, the whole thing, just to follow along with us. Uh, but yes, Book Club is coming. Something Wicked This Way comes by Ray Bradbury. Can you give those yeah. of us who don't yet have a copy in hand, mm-hmm. um, just, just so we can mentally prep? Is this like... 200 pages? Is oh, like yeah, good. Okay. 500 so, pages? Like, what are we talking about? No, depending on the edition you get and the specific, sure. like, print and typeset, it's going to be between 250 and 300 pages. Like, just depending okay. on how much. It's 54 chapters with a prologue and an epilogue. 54 um, chapters. That's a lot. Yes. Yeah. And so, but um, some of <laughs> them are brief. <laughs> copy of the book, quick. <laughs> some, some of them are brief, including one okay. chapter that is literally one sentence. So, oh. um yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Just, uh, but it, yeah. Expect roughly a. And over the span of how many weeks are we? This is all of October. Four right? weeks. Yes. Four so weeks. four weeks for October. I like that you very emphatically held up four fingers when There's you said that. Door. That was a very helpful <laughs> illustration. Like I am a visual learner, so like I didn't know what you said. It's like speaking Mayan or Incan or whatever, and mm-hmm. you just held up the four fingers. And this I is knew. a long business time. <laughs> And that's only the first one. The next one. It's time for sound bites, ladies and gentlemen. Sound bites. Like goodness gracious. Read. <laughs> Episode 200. It is coming it's, down the pipe. It's insane. Something 200 this way comes. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. 200 episodes. We've been doing this for 4 oh years. 200 episodes I, and that's not even like including as, like bonus episodes and stuff. No. I'm as impressed as I am fatigued. Exhausted? Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you like, jump started a car, you took a yeah, nap, yeah, you yeah. just like, it's, 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 it's over. <laughs> you just like. Done. <laughs> Woo! Jump starting this car took a lot out of me. It is nap time. <laughs> what a dummy. What a dummy. Kyle Reese. Um, no wonder he doesn't survive that movie. Spoiler wow. alert. Um, so, episode 200 is forthcoming with a swiftness uh like i don't know at this point four five weeks away uh we've already received a couple of these and by a couple i mean two uh so <laughs> send in so, so, <laughs> we want some more please please <laughs> we know you're out there we know you're intending to do this blake so please get on it we want a sample of an audio response to layer into our 200th episode um about your feelings about the fear of god why do you still listen what got you into it how has it impacted you what's a favorite episode just ask yourself a question about the fear of god and then answer it in a voice memo and email it to us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com and we're going to drop these responses intermixed, likely, with some of your uh, uh, icebreaker responses um, into the 200th episode, which is coming quickly. Just a few weeks away. That's right. And Ugh. speaking of, while you're there, while you're doing that, now we have you know significantly more than two of these, but we still want your audience, what you're watching, reading, listening to. Those are great. Renditions. Those are so much fun. We still have uh, a handful that we have not yet debuted on the pod. Some of them are quite exciting. Um, but uh, yes, uh, while you're out there doing your soundbite, uh, why don't you go ahead and give your best shot at the lovely little ditty original to this show, what you're watching, reading, and listening to, and then send that over to us as well, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. We will feature those as we can uh, along the way. So uh, that was... Uh, Business. That's business time. That's business time. <laughs> Ow. What? Ow. You just, you poor, 
You're so tired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can't watch the video this around. They didn't see me just like that was that was a what do they call it? It's just that was just like an unconscious move that just happened there. <laughs> yeah, where you just, just like, massage your face because you're like, dear yeah, Lord. Yeah, I'm like, oh God. <laughs> I get um it. so Riri, uh I Yes, the 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 days, the weeks, the months, the year itself. Um we did business time. We're we're gonna get to leftovers here in a second, but since we last recorded, um, what I don't want to do in this moment, I am maybe throwing you off guard a little bit here, but it matters. What I don't want to do is parade a thing because we are a loosely a pop culture a pop culture podcast in a in a categorical sense um what i do want to do in this moment is connect a real life tragedy to to what i think we're kind of after um Mm -hmm. something that has really struck me of late where i'm going that to, to to dispense with the absolute and utter vagueness of that 30 seconds there um, since Reed and I last recorded, um, Chadwick Boseman passed away rather, rather shockingly, um, to anyone other than presumably his immediate, immediate circle. Right. And, uh, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm st- strange, strangely, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, this one, this one stung a lot in a way mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. some of these don't often, um, you know, there, there's degrees. This one was, was on the profound side and how I want to talk about this in the next two minutes that may thread itself into the subsequent hour and a half, two weeks of conversation here. Um, you and I texted recently, uh, I think it was actually while I was prepping to watch this movie i don't remember exactly because something i haven't really even said out loud to you is as i as we've been going through in the morning this series with all of its grand intention that i think in a lot of ways we are honoring Mm. there have still been moments and, and and this is slightly confessional, you know, our, our desire ultimately is to have fruitful conversation that yes, on a certain level entertains as well. So I'm not, right, not right, saying, I'm not course. saying we're doing it wrong. That's not at all my intent. But as I even introduce a given episode and talk about in the morning, part of me is like, why are we laughing about this? Oh, I understand. And, yeah. and that sounds like a weighty way to say that. I just mean, I'm saying things like, Hey, we're learning how to lose on in the morning. Like that's, that's heavy and hmm. it matters sure, yeah. to say a thing in a, in a radio voice to introduce a podcast, but it also matters that you follow through and find the, the through line. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to plumb here. And what I texted you and how I'm going to tie this into the passing of Chadwick Bozeman recently, I think you were even just sharing about some, some difficulty in terms of just, just life heaviness. And, and yeah. what I said to yeah. you was these are hard days. And my feelings in that moment were that we keep papering over the difficulties, the hardness of these days in the name of the economy and in the name of back to normal. But 
these are sad, hard days and feels like we have pushed right past the grieving Mm. and that we've really missed an opportunity, not we, you and I specifically, but just corporately that we've missed an opportunity somehow. And, and I think you and I, at the outset of in the morning, that was the goal, right? To, to, to not miss the opportunity to right, of course, sure. to rest in sure. and to figure out between us as friends, between us as brothers, between the fellowship that's being birthed around these conversations, that was the goal. And I think in many ways we've done that on an intellectual sphere, you know, mm-hmm. stage with, with the material we're covering and, and, and I've been fed a lot by some of the conversations we've had during in the morning. Uh, it's been very fruitful and it stayed with me for, for quite a while, but something about the passing of Chadwick Bozeman in a season that's preempted and bookended by infinity war and Endgame just right, yanked right. the rug out from under me. Mm-hmm. in this real acute way mm-hmm. and you know part of it is you know I-, I mentioned during our infinity war conversation in our rundown the black panther was my number two favorite mcu character but but specifically relaying the story of seeing that film opening night in a largely right. black audience and what how meaningful that was for me as a participant and so if if i'm feeling this way mm. those for whom this character became symbolic and emblematic and mythological by his very existence mm-hmm. are suffering greatly yeah and and i just i don't know it maybe it's Maybe it's my favorite word, virtue signaling, to even have this momentary part of our conversation, but it just felt like a worthwhile moment to share with you, my friend, knowing the mutual affection we'd have for not only the performer and the character and the world he inhabited, uh, the fictional world he inhabited, but also just this loss is heavy and, and, mm-hmm. and the ways that the frustrating ways, highly frustrating ways that a thing like COVID has the, the the frustrating ways in which we've politicized this very sad, heavy thing. Right. Makes it harder to engage on an emotional level. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So then when you have something so acute and I mean, you and I haven't even really talked about this, but like my wife and I were watching a sitcom that night to to take mm-hmm. our mind off yeah all the heavy and yeah. i have uh 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 you and i are part of a, a multi-person text thread that i have the alerts hit on so i didn't get those <laughs> texts right when they happened oh and I my see. mom texted me an article like so i'm sitting there watching the sitcom my phone buzzes and i look and it's the headline on, and i said out loud oh my god right because right. you're like right. what yeah anyway so i just i really wanted to take a minute for us that may push us into TV guideposts, i.e. the leftover specifically, but also just invite your commentary, your meditation on, you know, mm-hmm. d- does that, does that resonate? Not so much the, the Chadwick Bozeman, but, but how, what I'm describing of like 
that gut punch that 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 registers mm-hmm. and when 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 you and i on this show are trying to center us in for as more as macabre as it may sound for trying to center us in tragedy and figure out how to cope and process even we can succumb to the academia of it all yeah of course to then course. just be like oh my god we mm-hmm. we have we suffer loss yeah and we don't yeah. know what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> right 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 so um a few things first off to address uh w- what i was doing you mentioned you were watching a sitcom my family and i were queuing up the third bill and ted movie bill and ted face the music like wow. we were we were just about to start it when we got the the notification and at first i i thought it was a cruel joke at first and then did you get a headline or did you see a text no like, i i saw the text from our mutual friend okay yeah, yeah, yeah that um and so when i saw that i was like is this some sick meme but then sure enough a quick google search right, revealed right. no it is it is not. And I think a large degree of the shock, and I, I mentioned this in our thread, but I think the last time I felt this way about a celebrity was when Robin Williams died. And for many of the same reasons. Number one, shocked that he was fighting a private battle. Mm-hmm. Two, um, it was a, a character, a performer who brought tremendous joy mm-hmm. to a significant amount of people. Um, and not to be, not to dismiss it, the third, just the utter suddenness of it. Sure. Um, and so, so that was not, not that Robin Williams and Chadwick Boseman are of the same caliber. I'm just, I felt the same. I processed it very much in, in a, in a similar vein. Um, and, uh, there is so much significance to this particular thing. I was long before. Uh, well, not actually that long before, but before COVID happened, we were spending some time with some friends and uh, one of them had commented basically about that he had done a recent interview and did not look well. And they had commented somewhat. There was a bit of lightheartedness to that conversation because it was like, man, I, don't, I, I do not know what what right. he's on, but he is right. not doing, you know, he's not doing well. And it was brought up in the conversation. Like we were like, and these were all fellow believers. And so we were, we were very much like there was, and I'll speak to this in just a second. There was very much the, the joking sort of like, you know, what, what's he been taking? And then very quickly pivoted over to the, I hope he's not sick. And very, and that was very briefly a conversation with like, I hope he's not sick. Quick Google search. And eh, there's nothing about him. Right, you know, right, fighting anything. Right. There's nothing about, and so, and so that's that, and it moves on, and it has been widely publicized that there was a large number of people who body shamed him for how much lo- weight he lost, um, right. completely unknowing that right. he was sure, fighting this sure, battle, sure. that he was visiting children's cancer wards mm-hmm. while fighting this battle himself, um, and the the significance of the fact that so many of his fellow co-workers in the films he was in did not know what he was going home to. I think this is really significant and speaks very, very, very highly of him as a person. Right. That he fought that battle alone and carried it with great, tremendous grace and strength as much as he could possibly muster. And I think that is part of why this is so devastating is because 
I say this, I'm not trying to be clever. I say this with as much sincerity as I can muster. He carried it like a king. He -hmm. carried it like a king. He fought it like a king. He lost to it like a king. Mm-hmm. Not, not in that sense, you know. And I know his his character that he played in Black Panther is the King of Wakanda. I get it, but I am very, very deliberate when I say that it speaks so highly of him as a human being. Mm-hmm. And he was a man of faith. He was open about that. Not that that means one thing or another to this particular conversation, but whatever it was in his personhood and his character that told him this is the way to walk through this. Mm-hmm. And I believe that speaks so highly to to each of us, not only in admiration for him, but as an example right. of the ways that we could do things differently. When you texted me about, we were, again, as you'd mentioned earlier, we were just dissecting life. And then you had texted me, and it was this this conversation between you and I about uh, the ways that we're just, we skipped the grieving. And... I've had this this picture. I I don't know if I've shared it on Pod. I can't remember, and I don't think I have over the past few uh, episodes because this is this image has been with me for probably a month and a half, um, and I've shared it with a couple of people in different contexts. But this image, this visual image of a child on some version of a grassy field, staring up and looking as a balloon continues to rise from them in the sky, and they just watch it go. And you stare at it, and I don't know if our listeners have had this experience, but you just stare at it, and you just watch it go, and it all sinks in in that moment. I will never get that balloon back. Like, it's mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you watch it leave. You watch it go away from you. And there's very few situations like that that uh, we can experience in our, in our practical day-to-day life. But that's the image that keeps coming to me is just this image of we are looking up at a balloon that continues to drift further and further away from us. And there will be other balloons in this uh, very botched analogy. There will be other opportunities. There will be other times we can hold tighter to things. We can learn lessons or whatever. But I feel like so many of us um, have a handful of balloons that we have just watched helplessly as they've drifted away from us, never never to come back. We don't know where they're going or where they'll land or what will happen to them. If they'll, you know, just be popped by the atmosphere or something else will take place, but, but they're, they're going away from us. And I feel like in many ways, the, um, the, we, you mentioned earlier and, and I, I get it. I'll tell you how I receive it. When you talk about how, like, you know, why are we laughing as we're, as we're, you know, discussing in the morning, you know, we're, we're entering into a series on the leftovers, learning how to lose. And we open it every week with this silly little TV guideposts bit that we do, you know, like all these different things that we do. But I will say when my grandmother died, one of the most it was it, it, not uh, not my mom's mom, but my dad's mom. And the reason I'm signifying that is because I was much, I was a lot younger when it happened. But I can remember how much it struck me, how much we were laughing while the family was together. And it would mm. be mm-hmm. on a dime that we would be sharing a hysterical story of one of her antics or one of our fond memories. And we were laughing so hard we were in tears, and then it would very quickly pivot into right, actual right, sort of right. grieving. And and so I feel that what's imperative is that you can laugh through it, you can rage through it, 
you can cry through it. You can sit in silent contemplation. I think the one devastating thing that we are seeing en masse is um, you, it will not really do you very much good to try to like think through it. Hmm. And I know that's a big statement, but that's the amount of times on social media that I hear people talk about political or social issues and they're like, think, use your brains, use your brains. And how many times I've wanted to just like copy paste back, like shut your, shut your brains and start using your heart. Like, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about one particular political ideology or not. I'm talking about fundamental base compassion. I'm talking about, you know, uh, there, there was a, we, we had, you know, and I, 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 talked about this when it happened we had uh, you know a a school shooting in the town where i live in the high school that is next door to me there was an event an occurrence right. and i can remember that night as composed as i possibly could i shared a story uh, to my facebook group to or not to my facebook group to just facebook my friends whatever I posted something and I talked about John chapter 11. And I'm only going to share this briefly and then I'll shut up and we can go wherever we want to go. But I talked about John chapter 11 and I talked about how in that story, Lazarus has died and Jesus arrives. And I cannot remember if I shared this on pod or not. I feel as if I have, but I'll remind it here because I feel it's, it's, it's pertinent to what we're talking about. Lazarus had died and there was a certain perspective that is expressed in scripture that says if Jesus had, had been there, they notified right, him. Right, right, And if right. he had been there, then Lazarus wouldn't have died, right? And in the story, Jesus is coming, and Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says it. He says it to them, and he says he's going to bring Lazarus back. And it's amazing to me because Martha comes and has a conversation with him, and he talks about raising Lazarus back from the dead. And then Mary comes, and Mary has a much more passionate sort of uh, weepy conversation with him. And he and he says, "Take take me to where you've laid him." And it is at that moment that Mary leads Jesus down to the tomb. That's the moment when John eleven thirty five happens, the shortest verse in the Bible. It just says Jesus wept. And what I shared on Facebook and what I'm sharing again right now and what I might have shared on pod is that you, you can have your answers, have your right, solutions, right, right. have your choices, have your whatever. Jesus was on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead and he wept on the way there. If you do not allow yourself to step back for a moment and weep on the way, your answers don't matter. Your answers don't. That's that's. I know that's a bold statement. I know that that's a, a potentially volcanic perspective. But you have got to learn how to whip <laughs> on the way. It's not volcanic. It's it's gospel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have got to learn how to weep on the way. You have to. And like I said, you know, you can laugh through it. You can cry through it. You can walk silently through it. You can walk privately through it. Chadwick Chadwick Boseman's death teaches us that. Right. You know. And, and, and that grace will be presented as a result. Um, but, but stop trying so hard to, to understand it and sure. to think your yeah, way yeah, through yeah. it. And I, I want to express appreciation for your, your check on my comment earlier. And also, uh, I think as I was sort of processing the, the notion of the laughter thing, it was more just 
it was partly it was just self interrogation, you know, like of am course. I appropriately not even appropriately, but you know, I I I personally uh, uh, mm-hmm. want as long as I can to hold on to that balloon, you know, and, yeah, of and, course, and of course. Yeah. pay heed to it and and mind its its feather like weight in my hand, mm-hmm. knowing its fragility. And yeah, of course. So no, so we 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 here at the fear of God uh, have great and deep respect for Chadwick Boseman, the man, um, and just kind of wish to celebrate that person and, and, and more Absolutely. In, in our own little way. Um, in his, I will just make this comment. It's, yeah. it's been said by dozens and dozens of other people in his brief time. He has, he has already left a substantive impact and a substantive amount of work. Um, he joins the ranks, although for a longer career, but he joins the ranks of those like, you know, the James Deans of the world, the people who's like their, their talent, those snuffed early is significant and continues to reverberate. And people will talk about him for decades and decades. Have you watched the five bloods yet? I haven't yet, but I I, I want to have a really, really, really powerful and eerie resonance. When you watch that film. Really? Okay. So (laughs) on that, uh, perhaps to bring us a bit up to, you know, out of the, uh, out out of the depths of it for a minute. So I've got myself a little lineup and Defy Bloods wasn't on it. So I want to maybe make this a separate viewing, but I have already planned at some point that I will watch when I have some disposable time enough to, to do it properly. I have yet to see three films that I think would be a perfect sort of triple feature. I want to watch 42, his Jackie Robinson portrayal, mm-hmm. um, and uh, follow it with Get On Up, his James Brown portrayal, and then Marshall, his, right. of course, third good Marshall performance. And I thought, you know what? I have yet to see any of those three films. It would be really nice at a time, you know, sometime when, I'm, when I've got the, the emotional sort of bandwidth for it. I'd like to just make that a little triple feature and sure. just, uh, you know, respect and, and admiration of, of, a, of a man gone too soon, but who, who left us knowing full well what it means to, to carry his burden like a king. And I, I say that sincerely. I know you do. You are nothing if not sincere, my friend. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> Today, we journey back to Various spots in the Leftovers universe. A scene or two in Mapleton. Was there a scene in Jardin? I don't know. I can't recall. Definitely some scenes in Australia. And, uh, you know, we're going to go check in with one Miss Lori Garvey uh, in the episode Certified. And then shortly thereafter, pivot over. Nope, we're going to reverse that. First episode is it's a Matt, 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 Matt world. I just like saying Matt over and over. And then we're dealing with certified on this TV Guide Posts. Nice. <laughs> you're, just, <laughs> you're, just, you're just making fun of me now. I'm not. Re, re, um, re, re, re. So um, it's a Matt, 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 Matt world. Um, Here's my here's my first statement here. Say it. Only in the leftovers <laughs> will you get like first of all, naked dude minus the blue lightning, but you got like naked dude <laughs> like, him. like running down like just this is just running down up, the dream. Straight up <laughs> straight up 
straight up naked, like about to explode a nuclear bomb. Like this is just, and only in the leftovers, only in the leftovers. Like it's just, it's just absolutely wild. The, um, the next few episodes that yes. can be the defining phrase only in the leftovers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, um, I also wrote that like Matt's missions are like the wildest episodes of the entire series. Like if you think about the three Matt centric episodes, you know, the very first one uh, with, you know, two boats and a helicopter with his mm-hmm. whole like journey to the, uh, you know, to the casino and everything. And, right. and then you got no room at the end. And then uh, this, you know, of course this one, uh, I mean like just he, as a character, as a as an individual, his his adventures are just outlandish. They're just absolutely you you you. Well, what I that. love about this one, before we even get to the sex boat of it all, what <laughs> I love about this one is when you tried like I, uh, let's say three episodes ago, I wasn't thinking about. Uh, we're jokingly referring to this as the sex boat episode because it features a, a sex boat and. It's kind of a defining feature of the episode, so it might continually to come up in that content in that phrasing. But I had forgotten about the sex boat episode, and in your mind, I was like, "How do we? How do we? How do we all?" Because I knew everyone ends up in Australia, but I just wasn't remembering the dots being connected in so so scandalous a fashion. But (laughs) I just love it. It's like you, you, your mention of the the map missions. How okay, okay. I just envision the writer's room. Okay, how are we going to get everybody to Kevin? <laughs> right, because that's that's kind of the goal is to land all these characters. Right, in, right, right, right. In the same area. Um, so I just love this again, and nothing else but the leftovers, or however you phrase that. Only in the leftovers, can you make me believe this is the means by which all of these characters <laughs> find themselves across yeah. the world? Right. It's yeah. like, oh, right, Matt like totally manipulates a church member to fly him <laughs> to Australia, which they then can't get exactly where they're going, but they get approximate to where they're going. So they can have this like old Testament, just ribalds rave, uh, yes. on a sex boat that utterly recenters the, the character of Matt Jameson in a staggering and astonishing fashion, leaving him yeah. utterly changed at the end of it. And you're still like, I love it. <laughs> it's so wild. It's so wild. And don't forget, uh, God's there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like there's let's, a character. Well, yes. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Go ahead. All go I was ahead. gonna say is let's let's the scene at least. Let's wait until we're a sure. Few more of course. Conversation ends, but yes, Bill Camp. You know, you push a guild on a whale. Bill Camp, uh, <laughs> aka David Burton, aka God himself. Uh, features yes. in this episode features throughout this season in a really fun fashion. Um, mm-hmm. I will tell you, Reed Lackey, my friend. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All I could think when that lion headed woman is trying to decide whether or not to let Matt and crew onto the boat. And she's like, why don't you tell me the filthiest jokes that you know? All I could think of was <laughs> Reed Lackey's fanny joke. Reed Lackey's <laughs> Fanny joke. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a callback. Steve Beckley, you'll have to remind us where Fanny appeared uh, in the history of Fear of God. But yeah, I thought Golly, that is the joke funny. Reed should tell if he is ever trying to board a sex boat to, you know, ferry Man, himself to another location. 
Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, the joke that is told is absolutely disgusting. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 that's a Matt Jameson uh, joke. It's awful. It is awful. Um, so I have one little small trivial bit uh, in here that I thought was really interesting. So um, my wife and I just recently watched a, a kind of behind the scenes thing on Back to the Future, and so this it pinged for me probably because of this. The frequently asked questions card that. David Burton hands to him uh-huh. to say like, oh, here, I'm, I'm God, whatever, was actually inspired by actor Tom Wilson, who played Biff from the Back to the Futures, because he apparently, and maybe he's not the only person who have ever done this, but he apparently grew so weary of answering the exact same fan questions, is that he would begin handing out frequently asked questions cards at That's the time, funny. so that if a fan had something that wasn't already addressed on there, then they could ask him, but I just thought, I was like, wow, that's really, really funny. Um... I put yeah. Go ahead. No, no, please. I was just gonna say I put a general, and this this summarizes just a few moments. Um, I put that there's some really great character callbacks in this episode. Like early on, Matt calls Lori out for her whistle moment. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a great callback to season one. Um, he also later calls John out for not believing him about Mary's thing. Yeah, you know when he when he's not believed about the man being thrown overboard. Um, and then, uh, later he asks like what happened to John that John stopped punishing people for pretending to be something they're not, you know? And, um, well, yeah, his line in that, I don't know if you wrote it down. What happened to you, John? What happened to your wrath? Oh, right. Oh, I didn't write that down, but yeah. Oh man. Oh man. What else were you going to say? Uh no that's that, oh, that, okay. yeah that's really it I have some uh, that scene that you sort of referenced earlier and that we skipped past yeah. like I have some commentary on that but but that's so, that's really it for this yeah a quick sketch of this episode uh, if you've been following along and are still on board uh you might be tempted to to skip past this episode and I would uh, I would I where I'm going is I understand I think mm-hmm. it might be worth your time because of the great character work because of what I personally think is the high intentionality of what they're after. I don't totally right. understand it all, but I do believe it to be very intentional. What is happening within the context of the episode. However, racy, uh, the on-screen imagery ends up in certain pl- spots, if only because of how enigmatic and powerful and mystical the end of this episode gets Yeah, in a very, moving way mm-hmm. um you know we've referenced bill camp as god it, the, the show contextualizes why they refer to him as such the the details of which are are kind of irrelevant to our conversation for the moment suffice to say what ends up happening is camp's character throws a character another person overboard effectively killing them matt has seen it he's challenging him throughout the episode trying to get him to confess and finally it leads to this big showdown between the two of them this this you know kind of i mean it's it's a hell of a scene and matt has tied him up to demand he account for his wrongdoing and throwing this man overboard in the meantime literally there is a live lion in the background like read the component parts of this are insane like there's no yeah there's no you know it's like they just drew him out of your hat Mm, sex mm -hmm. boat lion man claiming to be god go it's an improv (laughs) scene right you know it's like give me a scenario um but Mm -hmm. the way they 
weave it all into this poetic and powerful and beautiful showdown. Tell me a little bit about your interpretation of, because as the last bit of scenario before you answer that, I'm sorry, what I find incredibly powerful that sets up this question I'm asking you is that for all of Matt's rejection of what the David Burton character is doing, Matt buys in by the end of it in this Mm -hmm. scene, the showdown, and it becomes this transcendent piece of cinema that this is coming to me in real time is, is echo of, um, doggone it. Who is, um, seventh seal. Who's the Ingmar Bergman? Oh, seventh seal. It has this flavor of Ingmar Bergman. I don't mean seventh seal, but that, that elevated, we've talked all long, all along about this season being the creators and the creative team are reaching for the heavens. Yeah. And they, I'm not going to say they grasp it by the end, but they touch it and it is incredible. So I'm sorry. I I, I was trying to prep you to respond and I kept going. Well, there's just so much going on in it because yes, you're right. Like at first he starts off very confrontational and he's really just wanting to a get David Burton to admit that he's not God by sort of using reverse psychology and like calling him out on all of those things. And then he also wants him to account for the fact that he just like threw a man overboard to, to die. And then along the way, he begins referring to David Burton mm-hmm. as if he were God. And, begin- and it's like the pivot happens so gradually. Yes. It's not just like and an immediate subtle. thing. Yeah, it's very subtle. It's just suddenly he begins. And the first time you notice or the well, first time I notice it as a viewer is when he's saying all the different things that he did. And then, uh, you know, David Burton's like, you know, why? And he's like, for you. You know, and when he says for you, like he's he's clearly talking yeah. to God in that moment, which is it's worth saying, uh, although it's maybe little more than lip service, that that is a very natural progression for the echoes of the Job storyline right. right. that uh, Matt is walking in, because Job's story very much ends with a version of confrontation, you know, between he and God, and um, and so that that is certainly a natural progression of it, and it's just. There was so much the, the 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 there's too much going on in it that we don't have time to sure. unpack all of it. But the part that I would point to is when he when the man stands up, he frees him, mm-hmm. and when David stands up and like puts his hand near Matt's head, mm-hmm. there is so much going on in that moment where all he does is like he puts his hand near Matt's head and Matt is uh, it's revealed through the course of the of the episode and has been set up a little bit earlier but that Matt is dying that he's got cancer and he's he's succumbing to it and uh is is slightly unwilling to admit it even to himself and so then when this happens he says can you save me and then you know David Burton it looks it looks like it's setting you up for this big sort of transcendent moment of like he's going to heal him mm-hmm. and and all this stuff and then suddenly it just is this almost silly little like he snaps his fingers and says ta da you're mm-hmm. saved and that moment has so much resonance i had a I had a moment in my earlier days in my high school days when my faith was far more intellectual than it is than it was embodied. And I can remember I felt very thrown off 
by a couple of things and and I had gone to see a movie and and it was you know really upsetting because it had some really vulgar content in it and it was with a high school buddy and and I was just kind of trying to process these things in real time and and then my high school buddy said something to me and I thank him for this although it was a bit abrasive and harsh at the moment it kind of did what David Burton did to Matt and like snapped me into a different perspective um, is I was just going on and on about how scandalized I'd been by what I'd seen, and I was just like upset by all the vulgar sex jokes in it and everything, and I just was not acclimated to to that level of content. And then all of a sudden he was like, do you want us to just stop and say the sinner's prayer so you can get over this? Wow. And And it was the experience I yes. had yeah. was very akin to David Burton looking at men, just like snapping his fingers and like, ta-da, you're saved. You know, it was like it... It, it it brings into clarity, and I don't know that this is what Matt's experiencing, but this is how I related to it. It brings into clarity a bit of self-awareness of just how much of this has been my problem and mm-hmm. not God's mandate. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the awakening that Matt experiences. Yes. I don't think we get much insight into exactly you know, what he thinks and feels about faith at this point, what he thinks and feels about the long-term ramifications of his missions and work and everything. Uh, we get some windows into it so we can make some conclusions, but I think that, that that's the, the hat I would hang on it is just basically like you come to realize how much of this has been you and you were laying it at God's shoulders when really right. it's been you doing this. And, uh, that's, but that's what's so freeing. powerful in the performance as well, because yes, Eccleston, the next scene, just, I have not watched the se- the third season multiple times. That's actually not a rib, but I'm going to say I watched no, I mm-hmm. the showdown with he and Burton again mm. in isolation because I yeah. really wanted to marinate on it. And the next scene after this, the the utter the utter transformation of countenance is so powerful when he's mm. once more with Laurie and Kevin. Yes. And even and they notice it as characters, but that's scripted. Even I notice it as a viewer. Like he is a new person. He is. And yes. and I think that's really powerful because in, in as you just said, we don't get a ton of insight into the inner workings of Matt after this, which on a certain level is true, but on another level, his story has now ended. Ah, uh, yes. You know, mm-hmm. like like yes. the burden this character has carried of because um, this is going to be a super random uh, uh, sidebar here, but I never saw the play Les Mis until I saw the Hugh Jackman film version. Like I oh, wasn't okay. familiar with sure. the script. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went to see it in the theater and I don't, you know, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm a fake theater person. I don't know all the songs to Les Mis. Um, <laughs> I, I know the Anne Hathaway song, which is really lovely. Um, yes. And I, every now and then, when I say these two words in real life, I will then sing, look down, look down. Like if I'm talking <laughs> to my kids just to find the trash they've left on the floor. Um, I'll, sing, I'll sing it that way. <laughs> and they we have, have no, a similar they, joke in our household. They have no yes. clue what I'm talking about. But I remember watching that film. And being so moved, I don't know if you remember the arc of this this narrative, the opening kind of, I don't know if it's a two hour, two and a half hour movie, the opening 45 minutes or so is this wrestling of God and man. It's, mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's, those are the themes, God and man. Well, yes. oh yeah. The second kind of second third of the film is like teenage love. And I remember <laughs> seeing this for the first time and being like, well, pfft, I don't care. 
Like you just showed me the pinnacle of human engagement right, with the right. other, right? Which mm-hmm. is yeah, man and supernatural. Like mm-hmm. like that's powerful, not teeny boppers and who they do or don't love. Like lead with that. My point being, <laughs> Matt Jameson has just wrestled with God. Yes. And, and has absolutely. come away a man of mm-hmm. peace and yes. a man of clarity. And yeah. laid his burdens down. And as much as I don't totally understand all the levels that are happening there, it's yeah. powerful and yeah. amazing to watch. Well, and and yeah, as a, as kind of a final note on that for me, um, you know, like you just said, he's wrestled with God. Like that's you know the story in the Bible of Jacob wrestling right. with the angel, and then he, you know, the angel wounds him, like touches right. his side and like wounds him, and so he walks away wounded, and yet walks away with a new name and a new destiny. And and uh, it is a powerful story. Um, Jacob's name was changed, of course, to Israel because mm-hmm. he has you know uh, wrestled with God and. And I find that I, I, I do feel that that's very much the position we leave Matt in to the degree that when Fraser the lion is cut loose and straight up kills David Burton, the man, mm-hmm. you know, who, who claims to be God. And then Matt turns in one of the series' finest moment, turns, looks right into the camera and just says, that's the man I was telling you about. And it's, and that's it's one of them. Yeah. It's one of the most perfect. It's one of the most perfect endings uh, to a degree that I just don't have the words to wrap around it sufficiently, nor do we have really the time. But uh, it's it's like I really wish yeah. we had. An, a, a, I'm saying this truthfully. I wish we had a whole episode sure. to talk about this episode because. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I, as your friend in the conversations we tend to have, I'm just kind of curious to dialogue about what the hell's going on. Yeah, at absolutely. various points in this yeah. episode, because it's extremely compelling uh i will say i meant to go do this and i forgot until this conversation matt solar zeitz do you know that name uh he took over the roger ebert uh website after ebert's passing oh okay Uh, that's film critic who i read it at the time and for the life of me i I, like i said i meant to go back but he was gosh he'll he'll never listen to this so it doesn't matter a ton but either he or his wife uh went through a severe cancer battle and, and mm. after this episode of The Leftovers, he wrote this very powerful and moving response to it because wow. of what goes mm. on in this episode. Um, wow. So it is, in fact, a Matt, 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 Matt world. <laughs> God, what a what a show. Yeah, what indeed. a show. Read. And then we get to my this is this is probably my favorite episode of this season. Um, and uh, it's uh it focuses entirely on Lori in many ways, you know, Matt, 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 Matt world, even though it's not the last time we see Matt Jameson, it is kind of like you said, it's like the, the, the resolution of his story. And in many ways, this is the resolution of Lori's, um, the, it opens with the very first face we ever saw in the show with the woman who was in the laundromat. Mm, God, what a scene. And who, yeah. And whose baby, uh, departed during the opening sequence. Um, but that opening is just so gut wrenching with Lori with the pills this and then changing her mind. It really is. It, it really is quite, uh, quite wrenching. Um, and, and one of the things that I will say in a similar vein to what I said with the, the Matt episode is there's lots of just wonderful, wonderful character work in this. There's lots of quiet scenes with characters talking. There's lots of, more energetic scenes with characters talking as well but there's some really really lovely quiet scenes the scene between Lori and john is just lovely um the scene you're talking about the my story his story yes oh my gosh it's so powerful it is and then 
you know, this this is the episode. I apologize if I'm like stealing all your your hits all and highlights, it. but <laughs> just delete, delete, delete. Um, <laughs> deflate, but, deflate, deflate. <laughs> so, yeah, because this is the what 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 uh, no, go conversation, for it, and then we'll then we'll re- re- reiterate. Because this it. is also the scene that, or this is the episode that gives us that scene that we continue to reference just off pod and in life about uh you know the the person whose job it is to steal the beach ball and deflate mm. everyone's fun. You know, and steal stealing the beach ball. Um, it's just and the and I just wanted to mention while I'm on the same train, the Kevin and Lori conversation. It's all just like, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, Ian and Vera, it's great that I love you guys because you are so wrong on this show. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> Throw in the shade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this episode will go from the end and back. Uh, I without looking beyond this episode, we talked a lot in season one that the show was asking the question in the face. And in the wake of trauma, can we be okay? Like in a very fundamental sense. And there's a way this episode makes you worried for that answer. Uh, This episode ends with uh, ostensibly Lori killing herself. And I remember Reed seeing this for the first time and being devastated. Just devastated. Yeah, I know. Because of what it felt like was being signaled there in that, Mm. like, Mm. Oh my God, I don't know about finishing this because I'm so troubled by this choice by this character, thus by this creative team. Um, but backpedaling from that, uh, there's so much rich character work in this. I mean, not just in, and you didn't reference this, but the, the last supper scene, yeah. Right? Isn't that oh, this yeah. One? Yeah. No, where, it's in this one. Yeah. Where yeah, yeah, Kevin yeah. Sr., Scott Glenn, and in all of his haughtiness and and cock of the walk swagger is is labeling John and Michael as as yeah. biblical characters. And what does he call her at first? He, call, he says, Thomas. You're, ta- you're, Thomas. You're, you're Thomas. You're doubting Thomas. Yeah. And she says, No, I'm Judas because she mm-hmm. has drugged them. I mean, it is powerful. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Hey, did yeah, you catch this is- uh, doubling back on uh, Matt Matt real quick? Did you catch the connection David Burton makes uh, when he says of Jesus when when identical Matt says, twin brother? Yeah, I love that. Oh That's, yeah, what a oh, yeah. great little nugget, mm-hmm. little Easter egg. Um, oh, it's wonderful. Uh, um, so back back to certified. Um, I I, I want to highlight those moments. You. Uh, reference breezed through um this this episode threatens your affection for nora hard oh it does absolutely i mean until the end but the whole season does but yes sure but this one really puts her in stark contrast to what you've known of her exactly Um, and 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 actually from a we'll get to apocalypto um (laughs) we promise this episode is about apocalypto um we're near the end of the show like this is you know like all of the stuff is coming out but this is also what's fascinating about the formula that Lindelof tends to lean on, which is the perspective based narrative, yes. because I detest Nora in a lot of scenes in this episode, but it's because I'm getting her 
I'm getting Lori's view of her. Yes, of course. You know, and that's a really yeah, yeah, lovely yeah. and cool kind of uh, uh, convention there. Um, but mm-hmm. we don't have to spend here long, but I did write down the back and forth with she and John and mm. this whole show is about walking in your life. Right. And, right. And, and your capacity or ability to own that walk. It's right. seen in Matt, Matt by the burdens, the way he has foisted his views upon everyone in sight, sometimes crushing them being mm. confronted by God or not by saying it was you, man, this is all you, you wanted right. this the whole time. It's not for me. Um, I E take your blinders off. But as evidence in the scene with Lori and John, when John reflecting on following Kevin senior, he says, I still believe him. And if I throw out his story, it means I've got to throw out mine too. Yeah. I mean, dude, my gosh, Mm -hmm. what? I mean, Mm -hmm. on a pure technical level, what a great bit of scripting No, on a, on a character level, on a human level, what a fascinating now, it's fortunate that on a certain aspect, that's not more self-destructive a course of action than they're on. But how often do we do that? Like, wait mm-hmm. a minute. I, I can't. Your position has to be unimpeachable because then if it is, that means I'm in the wrong, too. Right. And like, how exactly. much do we right. do that in our own lives mm-hmm. is really powerful. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. But landing on. So, so listeners, we referenced this, I think, before, but Reed and I have these. Over the course of 20 plus years of friendship, these these totems of shorthand that uh, get utilized. Uh, one of them is speaking of Batman, and, and, <laughs> and it's it's utterly random to the 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 non inner circle person, but it's just the non sequitur intro. Hey, you know, it's apropos of nothing. It's it's our <laughs> version of that. Um, another one, and another rather significant one that means everything to both of us and and nothing to anyone else unassociated is taking the beach ball because it's a reference we may have even referenced it in passing before on the show utterly devoid of leftovers reference but it's all about this scene at the end and i won't right now jump too heavily into the theme boat because it's all right there but what a scene what a scene wonderful no, it's wonderful. Again, not Absolutely. just the script, but the character dynamics, the beautiful coda of the Lori Nora interaction there. I mean, yeah, beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. See you next week. Same time next week. Same time next week. Yes. God. And they're so, they're both so emotional in that moment. And, you know, Matt choosing oh, not to so go, amazing. you know, choosing to stay there with her. Like people should be with their families. Oh, it's my the gosh. Eve, it's the eve of the seventh anniversary and everyone's on. Yes. Tinterhooks is the word that came to me. Look at that. That is oh, not from Foles wow. Flavory. That's just who I've used that word twice in my life. And that was one of them. I don't remember the other one. I'm just giving myself Ta-da. the possibility that it did. Before. <laughs> but everyone is everyone in the world of the leftovers is on edge. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no correlation here to be found whatsoever. Um, and, <laughs> and Matt says people should be with their families. And but this 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 beach ball scene, Nora tells this story about being at a baseball game with she and Matt as children and everyone getting into the beach ball floating through the stands and being hit back and forth. And an usher comes and deflates the ball and takes it away. And 
And she says, why would he want to do that job? Why would anyone? Mm. And, and with all the theme of the show wrapped up into a sentence, because if he doesn't, Lori says, the ball is going to go into the field and it'll be effing chaos. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I want to invoke Mr. Roar there, but I'll wait until next week. Um, <laughs> read the, one of the last scenes, the last bits of dialogue of the episode. Kevin to Lori. Is Nora gone? Lori to we're, Kevin. Oh, we're all gone. We're all gone. Yeah. Dude. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, oh man. man. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I'm going to let you take us out because we've talked too long. <clears throat> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we hope Sorry. that you're sitting down. If you weren't when we started, you probably are by now. Maybe laying down. <laughs> maybe crying. Maybe maybe you've got some version of uh some music playing in your in your headphones right now. Just uh your favorite sad song, maybe by Radiohead or The Smiths. And um, we're here for it because this is <laughs> this is The Leftovers. And uh, this is hashtag TV Guideposts. Tune in next week where we will be focusing on only one episode of the show. Uh, because we really just talked too long for this one. So... <laughs> So, That'll be a three-hour so, tour. Uh, tune, tune in next week for uh, episode seven of The Leftovers and hashtag TV Guideposts. <laughs> you said the listeners are laying down right as I took a big old gulp of water. I almost got choked. I almost drowned like Lori at the end of this episode. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Reed, it's are funny, you ready I, to run some- with the, what? Say you had some. What? No, I was just, I was just, I had some trivial bits on that. that oh, I think I will. No, but I think I will save for the Wait, on actual leftovers? conversation on leftovers. So I'm gonna save it for the like the conversation. Conversation. I'm gonna try to save it. We can go back if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go back. We have to go um, back. No, 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 no. Because we, we, it's time to run through the jungle. Better run through the jungle. Run to the water. Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, okay, so hey, I remember listening to that album. That's um, Secret Samadhi. That's not Secret Samadhi. Which one is that? Nope, it's that's, um, uh, the distance. Phoenix. To hear. Yes, the distance to hear. Yeah, that's, that's a it. good album. Um, with you, that's, that's what album. I was trying to say. I remember listening to that album with you in the dorm. Yeah, great area, or at least talking about it. One of my, Either way, I have connections with you to live. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite moments and it's just it's just one of those moments that is going to mean nothing except to me, right? Okay. I was I was sitting in the back seat of the car as we were about to when? ride. Give me, you were give not me some... th- No, you were not there. Okay. You were not there. Oh. I was sitting uh, in the back seat of the car and in the but in the front seat of the car was our former roommate. And so <laughs> he was sitting in the front seat of the car and I was sitting in the back seat of the car and he was with uh. his girlfriend who's now his wife. And um, he was about to put on the distance to here, and uh-huh. he puts in the CD. Remember CDs? Remember I when do. we had those? Yeah. So you thought those were going to last? <laughs> and as he <laughs> shush your face. So <laughs> when he puts in the CD, I'm sitting in the back seat, and somewhat spontaneously, 
I'm just sitting in the back seat, and somewhat spontaneously, I don't know if I can do it because I'm a little giggly, but somewhat spontaneously, I just went, the way you're being. <laughs> and when I did that, I kid you not, he reached for the volume <laughs> because he thought the CD was starting. Because for, for listeners who don't know, that album opens with yeah. just an acapella voice. And so I did my, but that was the thing is I I did my best little version of the way you're bathed in light. (laughs) And and I just feel so proud. I just felt so proud that I made him reach for the volume because he legit thought the CD was starting. And it was just, I I remember riding around with that same roommate listening to Skillet. And it was probably Thirst is Taking Over from the Alien Youth album. And it was really Mm -hmm. loud. And I don't remember why I did that, why I did this, but I either just abruptly, Maybe I was driving and it was my car. And so I thought I had some propriety over the music, but it was on and I stopped it to change it. And he was just like, dude, I was worshiping. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. Do I need to pull over? What do I, <laughs> what do I need to do? <laughs> Let me get my guitar while I'm driving. <laughs> We shouldn't. That's this is awesome. this is all about you. Um, wow, I just did that. <laughs> wow. So Riri, okay, run through the forest with Jaguar <laughs> an hour Paul. And ten minutes into the wow. Episode. Hey, Reed, I got Jaguar a question for Paul. you. Answer. So we're talking about Mel Gibson's Apocalypto today. Yes, believe it or not, <laughs> I think we're gonna get there. Uh, but so this movie is. I'm no history guy. The the Mayans, the Aztecs, Mayans. It's yeah, a but it's an there's a trivial bit. It's there, a tribe. Say what you're going to say. It's a people group that is no longer with us, and no. um, in it, a whole hell of a lot of things befall the characters that are our lead troop, and mm-hmm. I I would not have survived five minutes of this film, and so I want to no. I want to I want to track through with you and see which any section. Which yes. which of these things would be the one that would do you in? So there's there's <laughs> the, the sacking of the village. That's what? <laughs> yeah, credits. I said the credits. Yeah, the credits are gonna roll and like bump that in the first head and quote I'm out. happened, and I'm like, oh god, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead. The opening, I'm done. the opening done. quote. Yeah. So the sacking of the village. That's rough. Whew, you lord. That long walk to the city. I don't. Uh uh-uh. uh. That's uh, rough. They, mm-hmm. they. I mean, you got mountainous terrain you can slip down you got little little kids with stuff going on yeah 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 that's rough uh so those are if those weren't bad enough you got what'd you say i said plague oh i said blake i was like that's an odd insertion there (laughs) um (laughs) blake gonna kill you he gonna sneak around here he's listening to this episode (laughs) being like good lord y'all i came for apocalypto (laughs) um (laughs) the heart extraction and decapitation i mean that's rough uh, that'll do anybody. Uh, yeah. So I yeah. guess that one's a that's a wild card. You know, if you draw that one, auto death. But if you somehow survive that, if you somehow make it, yeah, then you've got that's true. Then you've got the zigzag got the running run man to, game. Yeah. You know the the run to the cornfield. Yeah. Is your the, head going to explode the, if you cross the barrier? Yes. You got oh that waterfall. You got the waterfall. Yeah. Don't forget the mud pit with our tax. Oh Lord! Oh, why you gotta oh. bring up such sad thing? <laughs> why you gotta bring up Artax? Freaking like, no! <laughs> First legit trauma of my childhood. Freaking like, no! Welcome back. Uh, 
Are you going to drown in a pit? So yeah, there's a whole lot. Like I would have not lasted in this no. culture. Mm-mm. I would have been, I'm worried. I would have been blunted that I was that character blunted. Yeah. You know who blunted is? See, I knew you didn't know what I was saying when I said it and it didn't register with you. Blunted is. Is he the guy who eats the testicles stuff at the beginning? Yeah. Testicles. <laughs> Blunted the testicles. <laughs> so, I mean, say, okay. that or fire junk, you know, what do you want to call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, no, so, we're talking about Apocalypto. Read. Mel Gibson, Apocalypto. Yeah. Dude, why Why this movie, Riri? <laughs> okay, so. Why am I watching this? Scott so, Glenn. so why am I being asked to watch this? <laughs> so, so, I didn't ask that during this. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, the I, I will say that for each of these phases of in the morning, we've been you know pretty deliberate about like what what you know films are we going to feature and converse about and everything like that. And so, um, you know, brace yourself. This episode is probably going to be a little lengthy because we've already spent so much time. And Apocalypto is not you the think? kind of film that you can brisk or breeze through. But um, the the, the Specifically, in a very superficial and practical way, when we were sort of speculating about what these entries would be and what their crossover would be, Apocalypto became available digitally, which it wasn't for a very long time. And I'm not quite sure why. I even did a did little bit of Did you just have this on your Google Alerts? Did you just have this on your Google Alerts? Like no, Apocalypto no, Digital? It was, Bing! No, it was just, I have Amazon Prime, and it knows my taste in film. And when uh, it landed, it was just like, hey, movie suggestions for you. And I was like, what? Like, what? (laughs) And so I was sitting there. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, I want to watch that again. And then it did come to me like pretty quickly where I was like, wait a minute. This would be like, it's got some scary stuff in it. The quick fog filter. Hmm. I was, yes. The tabulations Mm -hmm. in your brain. Mm -hmm. I think this would work. I think this would work. So, um, you know, very much I, you know, like handed it to you and was like, hey, we need to do Apocalypto in phase three of In the Morning. And so, uh, yeah, so that was on a practical sense, that was it. But then when I rewatched it, which this was only my second time seeing it, the first time was in the theater. And uh, when I, you know, saw it this next time around, I was just so struck and overwhelmed by how amazing of a film it is. And I will say this because. Mel Gibson's only uh, presence on our show thus far has been signs way back in the day. And so here we are, and and now we have the first film that was directed by him. And I can remember that, like, Passion of the Christ was 2004. Tremendous amount of conversation and controversy surrounding that film for a number of reasons. But then shortly thereafter, like a year and a half after it was released, and Apocalypto was being made, and uh, was about to be released. And then Gibson's DUI incident happened. And what's interesting, like his his personal struggles became like major news. And it was just a few months before Apocalypto was going to release. And so a lot of people were like, even the studio was like, well, what do we do now? Because he's making a fool of himself. He's gotten drunk and is saying some terribly offensive things. And he did some degree, well, a large degree, I think, of effort trying to sort of contextualize for people his own personal struggles with addiction and exactly where a lot of these things were coming from. But he wasn't really successful at first with doing that. And here's what was amazing is that this film sort of still came out and you had some people who kind of, you know, soft key refused to see it. But the people who did see it, I was amazed at how many reviews pretty much straight up was like, 
I don't know if I want to be in the same room with Gibson, but I do want him to make more films <laughs> where they were very much like, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I want to right, right, engage right. in a conversation with him, but this, but his filmmaking and storytelling craftsmanship is, is just absolutely impeccable. And this film, and I, I had mentioned to you only briefly off pod where I was like, I honestly think there's a world in which if Apocalypto had not been the film that was released following his DUI incident, he might just be largely dismissed because if he had come out with something that was weaker or that was a little bit uh, less uh, unique and, and, and less cohesive as a piece, then it probably would have been the excuse people needed to just write him off and dismiss him probably forever as just like an old has been actor. One, Um, did I tell you that I showed my kids signs? Oh, I and don't we, remember that you did. They, no. they they really loved it and and talked oh, about it for awesome. weeks after. And two, oh, that's awesome. I feel like I kind of had a you experience. This is my second viewing as well. I did see it in the theater, and mm-hmm. I had a you experience watching this of talking to the room. But it was like I was by myself, mm. and you're kind of looking <laughs> around as the movie progresses, and you're like, anybody else seeing this? This is <laughs> this is amazing. Watching this, yeah, this yes. should not be yeah. so good. Why is this so good? You just keep asking yourself over and over, and then it keeps going. You're like, oh, my God, this is great. (laughs) I told my Uh, wife. I was like, you know, Apocalypto, if you were to ask me to make a top five of my favorite movies of all time, it would not be on there. But uh, in term, and that was a weird way of introducing that. If you were to say, name a movie (laughs) you love. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what would be the context in which I wouldn't answer the question with Apocalypto. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what i told her is i was like if i'm like what's a great rom-com yeah. Apocalypto <laughs> would Apocalypto. <laughs> yeah that's rough not gonna be there uh no oh, no Lord. um but that baby birthing scene woo um oh my so gosh. i was telling my wife i was like you know i don't know that this would make any favorite lists of all time for me but and it requires so much like context you can't yeah. just, it's not, it's not a ready recommend, you know, it is. if you're, yeah, if you're browsing is. the blockbuster aisles with a new friend, you're not like <laughs> that one new friend. That's the, yes. yes, that's what I'm yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that said, I love this movie. It is. Oh, it's, and yeah, I was kind of taken aback by just how gripping it is. It read, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't. <laughs> There's right? the, like, you know, it is an echo of passion of the Christ from the standpoint of film completely told in a dead language. Um, in this mm-hmm. case with nary a European to be found. And yes, we, we do hate that, but um, <laughs> I don't, I don't care, but point being like this shouldn't work. It should not work. But I even thought about this. Did your, did your subtitles auto come on? Yes. Mine didn't. And at first I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? So I had to turn on subtitles, which kind of annoyed me because it did all the things like shrieking, interesting, animal barking, you know, like all that stuff. So I had to turn them on. Really? Yeah. But I actually five minutes in after I turned them on, I pondered. I was like, you know what? It'd be kind of cool to watch this without subtitles. Just because just because it's all body language, you know, Mm -hmm. storytelling with with physicality uh, and image. Right. That's that said point being. I think you could do that and not be lost yeah. by no, I agree. what's I agree. happening on screen. Did you know he did you know he had contemplated um and was nixed, I think, 
I think was largely nixed by the distribution studio, but he had contemplated releasing Passion of the Christ without subtitles. I do think I remember and, that. Yeah. And that he was he was just gonna like, tell the, the story. <laughs> it's the greatest story ever told. And and it's like you know, he and and his his argument was like, look, people watch silent films. They they they've yeah. got situations where you could just like sort of get context from the visuals, and and um, and that would be a really fascinating exercise. I do think there's that elements said, of this the film. Script, that, the script note in Passion of "I Make All Things New" is is incredibly powerful. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I do think there are specific things in this film that if you didn't know what the character is saying, would be it would diminish well, the some hero of the moment, power for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and so I'll go ahead and mention this. I have some other trivial bits, but, but uh, let's just, for the yeah. sake of time and everything, I'll just mention them as they come. There were like three moments in this movie that I could, st- I had not seen the film for like 14 years. So I saw it in the theater and I have not seen it since. And so when I watched it again, there were three moments in the film that I remembered almost exactly as they were. And one of them was the moment where he has, Jaguar Paw has been captured. And he looks across the way and says, sorry, father. And then the, mm. the, yep. the invader the who guy. is, yeah, who is like tormenting him. I forget the, the, um, oppressive tribe's name. Um, but I, I remember a couple of the, uh, of the main sure. character's names, not all of them clearly, but, um, th- so, but he's like, sorry, father. And, uh, there's this antagonism that's built up between he and another one, but the leader of their tribe doesn't want Jaguar Paul killed. So, um, so instead, this other one decides, like, okay, I'm gonna take I it out on his tattoo father. and chief. Chief was the oh, head okay. guy. Okay. Tattoo right. was the bad guy. Yeah, the bad guy. So I'll, I'll refer to him as Tattoo. So Tattoo is is like he's gonna take it out on Jaguar Paul's father. And I remember he raises him up, and you can see and and talk about subtext and getting some things that are not spelled out in the captions. You can see in the tension of that moment. Where you kind of want, and you can tell that Jaguar Paw is like, please don't have heard that that's my father. Right, please right. don't have heard that that's my father. And and you can see that the man is kind of, the, the tattoo guy is kind of like, hmm, what do I do here? What's this choice here? This guy means something to him. All of this kind of stuff. And then it is the father, Flint Sky. He looks right at him and says, my son, and pauses. But he emphasizes it in such a way that you know he's he's doing it. He is He is spitting in the face of death. And he's saying, my son, do not be afraid. Yeah. And it's just, and of course, he's, he's, he's seconds from being killed. Right. But I'm just like, oh, my Lord, what a powerful moment. And that stayed with me. That moment itself, the visual, how it all right, played right. out. I had only seen the film that one time 14 years ago, and, and I was surprised that in the rewatching of it, I remembered it almost exactly as it played out. Well, it was, it's such a powerful let's, scene. Let's camp there for a second because I want to hang out at a scene that happens on the periphery of the incursion there um, maybe in a minute we've kind of pushed past where this would have been most appropriate, but maybe in a minute for those who are confused by our covering of this film, if you want mm, to mm. connect it to the broader in the morning, you can, I don't think we did that explicitly, but no. Oh, okay. Understood. Yeah. Man, maybe I, it's not purely this, but I attached it to kind of the, the COVID moment of minimal uh, uh, physical presence with others. But the scene, so Blunted is the name of the character who is the kind of mm. laughing stock guy. But there's two scenes back to back. So Flint Sky, the father, uh, knows that Blunted and everyone does that he's he's having trouble siring uh, a child with his wife. And, you know, the 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 testicle joke I made earlier is a reference mm. to something that his friends try to prank him on that's really 
disgusting, but a, a funny, funny scene, but just awful. Um, well, Flint Sky kind of takes him aside and offers him what is ostensibly a remedy for his problems. And you, the viewer, nor does Blunted know this is also a prank, a long con by Flint Sky. But so, so there's a world in which you could say when the payoff to that prank happens that it's bit a bit mean spirited. But honestly, what happened for me was this turn that happened. So Blunted rubs this, you know, kind of powder on his nether regions and you know goes to bed his spouse and uh runs out of his tent just with his junk on fire uh metaphorically <laughs> speaking and and i'm explaining this because what happens then is the whole village and what you've had so far is this impression of connectedness and community and mm. togetherness mm. so the whole village starts laughing at blunted's expense which initially what i meant a second ago was feels mean-spirited but the longer that scene hangs this is why it's so hard to talk about mel gibson because i am a person who thinks i don't know about the last decade it's hard to say at this point in time how far afield he may be from a position of real integrity and personal truth but there's there's good stuff buried in there and and it comes out in some wonderful ways when it can and i think this is one of those moments where you you see something on display that really moved me was the scene let's hang for a very long time of the village kind of enjoying the moment at blunted's expense that ultimately he kind of becomes in on the joke too so it kind of makes this turn from ridicule to communal joy that then i don't know if you remember what's right after that is the fire scene and it's Mm. this beautiful scene of this elder statesman of this tribe who's missing an arm like has clearly seen hard times Uh, I don't know if I can't remember if he's prophesying or speaking some version of their scripture or just telling a story. I don't exactly remember what, but it it's, it's the whole village gathered around this fire, listening to this elder speak and that turns into this dance around the fire and Reed, I was so moved. I was so yes. moved yeah, and I'm incredible. going to add an incredibly random, uh, a speaking of Batman moment to this. that's going to tie in that, that helps me center on how I view a film like this. Did you ever see the movie whale rider? A very long time ago. I don't have a strong memory for it. Okay. Well, when I saw it, uh, was probably coincided, and I'm going to give away my heresy card here, co- probably coincided with early readings of Brian McLaren work, uh, New oh, Kind of Christian, okay. yeah. that sort of thing, uh, that really blew open my brain and, and spirit in a lot of ways to new forms of thinking about faith and whatnot, which will make a lot of sense to anyone listening these days. Like, no wonder you're a weirdo and, and <laughs> off, off the, off the road, off the, off the farm or whatever analogy you want to use there. But I remember watching <laughs> whale rider, which is a movie about a little girl trying to come into her own in this Maori community and mm-hmm. being extremely moved by the mores and culture that were utterly foreign to me. Yeah. And, and having read as this, and this, this is what informs a lot of my affection for apocalypto, uh, having this very profound reverence for what I was watching because mm-hmm. it was not mine and, and oh, thinking wow. yeah. and thinking and hell, you could tie this to black Panther too. thinking. This is Nathan speaking, not the fear of God, not even read though. He may echo thinking Jesus loves that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does not look like what I have been fed, but it is good and it is healthy and it is right in a way that is pleasing. Yeah. 
Does that make yeah. any sense whatsoever? Oh, like 100. It is and, so yeah, yeah, like us. I mentioned on Crazy White Fella Thinking. What I found so amazing about that episode of Leftovers was it's trying to say there are things not like you and those things are great and they're yes. okay. And you have right. to learn to have some space and reverence for those things that are not like you. Because only right. in that are we going to allow nations and tribes and tongues of all kinds to come mm -hmm. together, right? Mm -hmm. And oh, that, absolutely, yeah. And so something like this scene in Apocalypto, which you know, kind of deteriorates throughout the narrative of the film into sadness, but was so powerful to me. Because like this is this is that whale rider experience for me all over again is watching the beauty of intimate personal communion of a community love each other well. And it's very mm -hmm. powerful to me. Anyway, sorry. Oh, no, absolutely. No, so absolutely. No. Um, and so, and I will say, because of how deep we are into this episode and, um, you know, all of these different ways that this may echo, I will say, like, as something pops up, listeners just expect to be on board for maybe likes, dislikes, and scares, and themes, yeah, and yeah, everything, yeah. all, all blended place. into, uh, you know, a, a, a shuffle. Because I will say, so, like, I suppose the, the, all the stuff I just barfed up could have been theme stuff, but it, I wanted to no, exactly. That's why I'm sort of latching onto it. Like I remember it wasn't until that moment that he emerges from the tent and is hurting yeah, and has been the butt of this joke that I remember thinking and I'm, and having almost the same exact experience you were because Flint Sky, the father, mm -hmm. I don't know if you picked up on this, but, you know, he's the father figure. So earlier we've seen him with a tremendous amount of dignity mm -hmm. and with a tremendous amount of just just uh, composure in when he's talking. About, and, and he talk. I love those those moments when he's talking with Jaguar Paul, his son, about how fear had infected yeah. the people that they saw earlier and talking about fear as an infection. And boy, we could go off for an hour about that. But um, he, ta he talked about that. And then one of the things I loved so much is that when when blunted, when the joke is revealed, he loses all measure of dignity in a really kind of lovely way. Flint Sky. Like, yeah, yeah. Flint Sky is belly laughing against yes. the tree. This this regal like father figure character is just so full body consumed with laughter at this. And like you said, it pivots. It is not mean-spirited harsh bullying it is the the shared joy and gullibility and and all of that and i feel like there's so much sort of uh connective reverence like pivoting a bit to a heavier moment you know that scene began with the mother-in-law like pushing mm -hmm. him in like oh yeah, you're yeah, useless yeah. for all your height and your girth and everything you're just useless you fooled us you know like you, you haven't given me grandchildren yet and then useless, useless, useless. Well, then later, tragically speaking, when they are enslaved and then nobody will pay to take her as a slave and they just cut mm -hmm. her loose Gosh. to go and die in the midst of whatever. And then he, who is still sort of captive because they're going to keep blunted, him and they have right. other plans, blunted has other plans for them. But he's watching as they as they throw and hurl those things at her like useless, useless, useless. But you can see in the in the exchange they have, in the eye exchange they have, you can see the sanctity of the bonds that have been broken. Yes, you know, yes. that it that it wasn't and that's what that's what truly is so heartbreaking about the the 
devastation of that village and and just the, the when he when he blunted is sitting there in their version of you know binds and and ropes and everything and he is sitting there wailing oh, wailing take the wife away yes and 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 he's helpless he's powerless he can't do anything and uh is wailing our lives are over our lives are gone like and you feel the weight and the gravity of what they've lost because Gibson allowed and chose to spend 20 or 30 minutes what in a lesser filmmaker and in a lesser story t- would would have been just juvenile dirt, dirty jokes well it's so fascinating how yeah. economical this film is because it's about 210 runtime which isn't yeah. overlong um it's it's skewed slightly above average but not for necessarily its genre but so much happens in this movie but it never feels rushed and in fact if anything it feels paced and methodical and absolutely thoughtful and you are watching the dissolution of this community by outside forces and you you could existentially say fear perhaps you could literally say you know colonizing forces uh that disperse and 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 thin them out and and it's one of those things that you see this narrative play out why this film to me works on so many different levels is you're watching a very sociological event take place under the patina of action filmmaking right like you're watching yes, right. an exercise in sociological academics right it's mm-hmm. it's oh absolutely civilization yeah. dissolved narrowed maybe rebuilt you know what i mean like it's it's mm-hmm. how do right, these right, things right, happen right. i mean and it's 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 foretold by the opening quote of the film but you know i i just remember thinking watching it this time when they're being trudged through to the center of the temple town and how like the the feeling occurred to me of this is taking a while, but it doesn't feel belabored. No, man, they're really covering a lot of ground here, but it's also very incisive and thoughtful and Mm -hmm. meditative almost. It's very Um, deliberate. It's, it, it, it's very well structured and I'll go even one pace further. One drastic disconnect is, you want to talk about like uh, the the way the film is paced? I straight up felt like I remembered that the last half, if not the last two thirds of the film, was the chase through the jungle, mm-hmm. and was stunned when I realized that we were ninety minutes into the movie before that began. Yeah. I was like, "You got to yeah. be kidding me!" Like it's just again to speak to the economy of its pacing and the economy of its storytelling, um, and and I feel like. We could spend a significant amount of time, and I'm sure it will keep coming up. I think he absolutely unearthed a diamond here. I think there was a lot on his mind, and I think there was a lot of deliberate intention in how he approached telling this story. Uh, 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 What could be considered like a trivial bit. So he used indigenous people to perform in this film, many of whom had never acted before. Right, And That little girl. Little sick girl was one. She is powerful. She's stunning. Yes. I mean, that scene stunning. when they're walking away and she's shrieking at them. Oh, my Lord. There's yes. that scene. And then there's, dude, it's so painful when they're being taken across the river. And I even wrote it down. Yeah. The little girl. There's there's a girl of maybe, maybe eight 
who is with yes. much yeah. a, a, a little a little group of much younger children and the adults are being dragged across this raging river that the children cannot follow and this 8-year-old yells across to the adults don't worry I'll take care of them they're mine now dude yeah oh my god in yes. tears my gosh yeah, absolutely no absolutely and and what's fascinating is so there is that opening quote We've we've not deliberately uh, cited it, and uh, I'm a bit remiss. I didn't write it down. I didn't. Um, okay, so if you could quote it, because I, I'd, I'd rather the language be deliberate and, and direct. Um, it says, a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. And what's fascinating to me about that opening, because clearly that's the thesis statement of the film. It's literally the opening, the first thing you see. And so... What's fascinating to me is we first witness this invasive tribe of people come in and ransack this village and take captive all the people who were in it. And then they proceed and you actually quickly learn that, well, not maybe not quickly, but then you discover that they are part of the big city. So they're part of, they're not some outlier ravaging group of, 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 uh, you know, thugs if you want to sure, if you want to yeah. use that language they are part of this in air quotes civilization system they're part of the city What's they a, have come yeah it's a colonizing force they yes. are going in and taking the people absolutely for and, i'm sorry if i'm cutting you off but for what no, is is revealed to be sacrificing them to appease yes. their own people to the to the gods which is a yes. very powerful scene i was reading what little i could find on imdb of the backstory was about how the um puppeteers mm. of this ceremony knew enough academically and intellectually and astrologically to time it to coincide with the eclipse in other yes. words they're they are it's it is a society at work and yes. it is it is a ruling class, mm-hmm. lord lording power over an underclass, and in the guise of and, a, a religious sort of fakery. Yeah, you know, and like they, they knew other peoples mm-hmm. to this end. Yeah, no, absolutely, for the explicit purpose of just okay, the eclipse is going to happen today. We're going to sacrifice people until it does, and then that be the end of it. And and it, it it is stunning to me. Like you look around at that, and and that is one thing. I I, I took a couple of notes here. Like, um, so I'm going to read out some of my notes. Forgive mm-hmm. me if this is just a bit pedantic, but um, like debates have persisted about the film's representation of the Mayan civilization because while the darker elements of what we see are largely regarded as generally accurate. Some critics have pointed out that Gibson spent almost no time on the more praiseworthy elements of the Mayan civilization, like its cultural advancement, um, its uh, its artwork, uh, the, you know, its its economy, things like that. Um, but there was also some controversy around that human sacrifice element. You mentioned earlier Mayans, Aztecs, whatever. What's What's interesting is that <laughs> I wasn't trying to sound um, that glib, but yes, yes. <laughs> but no, but I, but what I mean is that like you mentioned those two tribes and mm-hmm. those two sort of uh, cultures. And it was it was actually the Aztec civilization that was more inclined towards human sacrifices than the Mayans were. Although the the era that this depicts was a time where there's been an anthropological argument in defense of the fact that at this stage in the game, because there is a historical connecting point with that ending, 
um, at this stage in the game, the Mayans might well have, in fact, been doing what they had learned from the Aztecs in terms of like human sacrifice and stuff like that, um, Did which, you, I, which I found really interesting. Well, I saw where at least my comprehension of it was the conquistadors who show up at the end is utterly anachronistic to the history. Like it's meant more as. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, again, I didn't do a super deep dive. I these days for for, you know, behind the scenes stuff, we'll just scour IMDb stuff and it was saying yes largely that, that, that and i yeah and the Wikipedia. the the uh the way the film ends which is very powerful to the story it's being that's being told and so i think if that is creative liberty um hey steven scaregrove you're a history guy you know help us out on that one um but yeah what i was reading <laughs> was um that that was anachronistic to the historical moment well it may be because this 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 does presumably take place in the early 1500s, in the early 16th century. And the conquistadors did arrive in what is now considered South America, you know, around that time period. So I, I didn't, I actually didn't find, so, um, I'm not personally arguing for or against, I'm just sure, telling sure, you sure, what sure. I read. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what I read about, <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that ending for a minute and we can, we can go backwards because there's lots of great stuff that we skipped over, but, um, let's talk about that ending. So how the progression of this film goes is our central character is who we've actually talked about blunted more than we've talked about him. Our central character is a character named Jaguar Paw. His father is Flint Sky and Jaguar Paw has a, a wife who is imminently going to give birth and he's got a son who is probably, what would you say, like four years old, maybe, Something maybe like five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so anyway, they, um, uh, so he had, he is kind of our central anchor, right? The village is ransacked. They're taken into captivity. He is nearly sacrificed. He is literally on the slab to be the next person sacrificed when the eclipse happens, stopping the ceremony. And so, um, then, then he is led to a place to where he is, you know, given a choice, uh, to run for his life Hunger across games. a field. Yeah, essentially. Uh, run through your life across the field because your jungle's on the other side of the, of the cornfield over there. And they know it's, it's a, it's a barbaric game because they're going to kill them one way or another. They hurl, you know, spears and they fire arrows and they throw rocks at the people that run across and, well, and like two. And they've got a guy at the end with a mace ready to exactly. finish whoever. Who's going to finish them off if they just get wounded? So, um, so there's that piece, but in a, you know, somewhat surprising turn of events to everybody there, Jaguar Paw, though wounded, survives and kills the finisher at the end and thus escapes into the jungle. Well, uh, so w- what happens is then uh, a chase through the jungle ensues that lasts for about like 40, 45 minutes. And when it reaches its culmination, as he's like in diehard style, kind of taking down his pursuers one by one. Um, he does, he's not responsible for all their deaths, but one by one, they start dropping like flies. It it begins as a tribe of like a dozen running after him. And by the end, there's just these two, they reach a beach. And after all that we've seen, and after all this chase through the woods and after all that he's experienced, they reach this beach and he falls down or like he's standing and there's some other people over there, or maybe he's on his knees, but they look out across the water and they see the like Spanish conquistadors coming in boats to land at the shore. And mm-hmm. it's just this like dead stop moment. Like, Oh, Whoa, everything we've been running around and trying to pursue and everything. It, it just, now they're just in utter shock. And so, uh, you know, the being chased and the chasers are all just stopped there. 
in awe of what they're seeing. And um, I remember just the power of that moment to me the first time I saw it. But presumably there's some there was some controversy that I'm not going to spend a ton of time on. Just the people were layering a bunch of things on top of it where they're saying like, oh, well, Gibson, this is just, you know, uh, Gibson saying, well, thank goodness the the civilized people arrived and this savage culture was such funny. I don't read it that way at all. I don't read it at all. Yeah. I, I categorically disagree with that interpretation because their arrival is viewed too ominously. Yeah. Not to mention the it fact that Jack, absolutely, yeah. and uh, and threatening, and and there's no way. And Jaguar Paul, with his when he finally rescues his wife, and they're considering like, do we go with them? And he chooses not to, which I think is intentional in a film this deliberate. That is very very intentional. Sure. And uh, and so anyway, that's you know there've been some controversy surrounding it, and I think a lot of that controversy just carried over from what you know Gibson's personal life and from the way people felt about the Passion of the Christ and everything. But regardless of whether or not it's anachronistic, what I find th- my whole point in sort of layering all that in is the the beautiful communal village is sacrificed and colonized and utterly devastated by these you know people who are presumably in the city of the wealthy of the uh i shouldn't say wealthy but just like of the the powerful an arm of the state yes and then it is a remnant just a little sort of seed in this in this jaguar paw i love 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 oh my gosh love 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 Two moments that they're running through the jungle. The first that I'll mention, because it's actually the lesser one, though I think it happens later, is when he is standing there and just thinks to himself. He doesn't verbalize out loud, but he thinks to himself, I am Jaguar Paw. This is my jungle. I am not afraid. Mm-hmm. And and he just thinks it to himself. He doesn't even utter it. And it changes the game. Yeah. On like That's when... Suddenly, the deaths of his pursuers are not accidental. He is. That's when Arnold turns on the predator. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's very much that kind of moment. <laughs> and so, um, but the other moment, which I'm sure you would have brought up if I didn't, is after he survives the waterfall, after he makes it all the way down, and then looks up at them and recites a version of what his father had recited to the scared tribe earlier. Mm-hmm. And he just like beats at his chest and he's like i am jaguar paw this is my jungle my father flint sky hunted in these woods before me my children will hunt in these woods long long after me you know and and my sons so will powerful. hunt it with their sons after i'm gone uh yes and then oh man come on <laughs> it's so, great. <laughs> it's so because, good because that is the force that it's like it's as if he is like the seed of their destruction and then what ultimately happens, it's so powerful because they're so focused on him and they're going to they're gonna win and they're going to beat him and they're going to subjugate him. And then what's left of them runs out on this beach where an even more devastating force Can, is waiting for them. This is a damn good movie. It's That's so such good. a great movie. It's such um, a great movie. I don't, I don't. I don't uh, want to because I've got a ton of notes staring at me that very few of which are most of it's just, you know, kind of narrative recounting. But I just I just got that that uh, uh, flint strike in my spirit uh, Mm. to to throw out some thematic stuff because it's interesting because I've been pondering. I'm like, okay, the 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 opening quote kind of confused me a little bit because in a literal sense. Because the opening quote, to reiterate, 
a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. And you've got multiple iterations of quote unquote civilization displayed in this film. Yeah. Sure. You've got Jaguar Paws, Jaguar Paws village. We haven't even talked about the, the water birth. My goodness. What a crazy film. Lord. Um, you've got Jaguar Paws village. You've got, the the remnants of the uh, afflicted village that passed through the jungle right mm-hmm, you've got mm-hmm. the temple city that they are taken to and you've got the incursion forces of the conquistador so there's a lot of layers happening here and so i was just trying to think through like okay what um is uh, i'm gonna scan right back up to it a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within and what 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 was not what was eluding me until just a minute ago when you were recounting jaguar paws stand up come and get me experience Mm. was i was like okay well what is from within because i think it's meant to say something's happened to these people that that isn't just literal and outside but, right, of course. But what we're seeing it's, is um, this ostensibly whole community be oppressed upon by mm-hmm. tattoo and chiefs force faction, and and I do think I don't think the film would assign responsibility at all to Jaguar Paw for what happens to his village, but I do think the thematic thread stood out to me when you recounted what he tells himself. Because what is a recurring theme of this film? Mm-hmm. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And what happens when Jaguar Paw sees this put upon, ravaged other village trying to pass through the forest? He gets infected. Flint Sky even almost refers to it as a sickness. He does, yes. I don't remember yes. exactly mm-hmm. how he says it, um, but he addresses what he sees happening in Jaguar paw, whatever you're seeing, Mm -hmm. they, they experienced fear and it destroyed them. And so you could make a case. I'm not saying again, that the film is saying it's Jaguar Paul's fault. This stuff happens to them. I do think it's saying if we're examining why the binds no longer hold, we might look Mm. at what and how much we allow fear to fester of others right and of the unknown right. because mm. what happens when jaguar paw finally becomes the hero he says this is my forest and i am not afraid i'm not and, afraid yes and more than that he overcomes the forces set against him and where i was ultimately going to go in this conversation thematically was you know we often refer not you and i we necessarily but maybe you know, apocalypse as a, as a phrase, as a, as a word, as verbiage used, we often utilize it as end and not, let me rephrase that. Right. We often use it as the ultimate end. Like that's. Yeah. Devastation. Metaphorically what we think of. Mm -hmm. And yet I think we rob ourselves of the teachability of truly comprehending. It's not just a, an eternal end that's being referred to in the notion of apocalypse. It is endings. And what do we do mm-hmm. in apocalypses, especially in German shows come constantly. We are just yeah. inoculated against them. 
we right. don't see them. And so when a society is unaware of how much fear is being stoked yes. actively in them, how much maybe they're letting that in, we mm-hmm. become blind to the, the fraying that's happening. And right. I think what's really powerful to me and my takeaway from this film and what I want to embroider is I don't embroider, but if I did, you know, something, the point being something I can hold up and refer to constantly is <laughs> what does um, the wife at the end, you reference the scene. She says, should we go to them? He says, we go to the forest to seek a new beginning. And I think something that was really powerful to me is not you just resign yourself to apocalypse. It's know it will come and then make something new. Know it mm. will come and then make something new. Yeah. Accept oh, that man. it will come and then make something new. Right? Yeah. Like that. Yes. What I was trying to resist, but now it's screaming back at me with the beach ball scene from the leftovers is roar talks constantly. And we've, I've referred to it before the, 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 he probably has some phrase for it, but, Order, disorder, reorder. Yes, right. The longer you live in order, the harder it will be to know what to do when disorder does come and it will come inevitably multiple times. Yes. (laughs) It's not just eternal Mm -hmm. end. It's not just death. It's it's learning to die. I am going to... Mm. I, I may let him know this, but one of our listeners recently posted a quote that was lovely in theory, but pithy. And I, I had this impulse to talk about it. And it was this quote from a pastor. And it said, it said, Jesus. Um, I think actually, cause it inspired me to sort of, uh, want to write something about it. And so I'm going to let them know. So the quote the person shared that was not them saying it, it was a quote they shared. It said, Jesus died our death so we could live his life. And before you, yes and amen, I'm about to unpack that a little bit. Jesus died our death so we could live his life. And what I wanted to respond and what I think this movie is echoing in me continually is Jesus didn't die our death so we could live his life. Jesus died his death to teach us how to die Mm. again and again and again. Because only Mm. in dying can something new then come. I may die literally once, but I will suffer many deaths on the way to that. Mm -hmm. And if I don't know how to deal with it, I am going to cause great pain and havoc in those around me. Right. And I think there's just something beautiful about that verbiage. Should we resist apocalypse? Mm. No, we should go seek something new. Wow. It's here. I mean, it's, I'm jumping ahead, but it's Kevin senior saying now what? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Anyway, sorry to hijack that a little bit, but no, 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 you haven't hijacked anything. I mean, it's like, and to be honest with you, I'm torn in this moment because I have very little to add on to that. Not because, oh, well, you know, you've stolen everything, but just that I, I yeah. consider it to be so powerful. Like it's, it's, it, it, there is an element to which, you know, when we think about the necessity of Christ's death and what that means to so many different people, and I, I find there's, 
there's tremendous amount of theological discussion and arguments to be had about a number of things. Um, but as is typically of my mindset and typically of my preference, I find that the stage I have reached in my life, if I'm being really deliberate, so forgive the pauses, the stage I've reached in my life, my questions are less, what did Christ mean when he said this? What did Christ mean when he did this? What did Christ mean when he experienced this? And more, how can I be like him when I face the same thing? Mm -hmm. And how can I walk the way he walked through this same thing? Right. And so that's not, for, for me, that's not to dismiss or discard or even to try to understand all of the different ramifications of all of of all of that. Right. But to your point, you know, like when when we say like he dies, like how do I face a similar death? I, we've we've talked about the film so many times. Uh well, I don't even know so many times. You and I have talked about I've referenced it a ton. But it's probably the most recent film because it was 2014. It was it was only like within the last 6 years. It's probably the most recent film to have surged its way into my top 10 all-time favorite films, and that's Calvary, mm, starring mm. Brendan Gleeson, which is very much about a man face. I mean, it's called Calvary for a reason. It's very much about a man facing a ticking clock towards his own death, a death he does not deserve, a death he is, in a way, sort of standing you know, in the place of other atrocities and other wrongs and other things. And it's, and it's, it's less about the implications and ramifications of all of those different um, scenarios and and very much to me how it speaks to me how that film speaks to me is very much about like how does how does a man face his end mm-hmm. and how to, and how does he stand under it without fear and embracing healing and wholeness and 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 how does he do so in a way that still is others minded and and I think about the the power that this film Apocalypto has and and what it has to say is i do think it is very very much what you said earlier about how it's not like a ending it or an ending it is multiple endings and like how you face that and i have always even from the first viewing sort of contextualized the film as oh this is a film about how you face the end how you how you face when it's all over and when it's all been taken away and when it's all been destroyed and uh so anyway i don't want to talk so much to the degree that I dilute the point that you've made, because I, I, I agree with your point and, and well, I and, feel like, and to be fair, I, I want to be careful that I don't want to make the, the Jesus quote thing, the pedestal to hang on here more. Just, I think what's powerful to me thematically about the film, as I wrestled down some of its themes was this thread of fear and how fear undoes our, uh, connection and our bonds right. and our mm. our intimacy and our right. joy and our love and our laughter like those that can undermine all of those things which which right. may sound like i'm saying oh we're never supposed to be afraid of anything I, I, maybe maybe that's what i'm saying i'm simply saying it feels like the movie is having a conversation about what happens when fear invades and what we do in the face of that because i am not good at this I I am I am good at talking to you about ideas that rage in my spirit. I'm bad oh, sure. at at 
executing plans to to put put some <laughs> right. feet, put some skin on those raging ideas. Um, right, of course. That said, you know, I don't think the I don't think the hero moment is save all the people is to dispense with all your enemies. Uh, I think our hero moment is every day that we're able to know apocalypse is coming. Apocalypse yeah. will arrive and to be able to say, mm-hmm. come on, let's do this. Yeah. I will wrestle mm. with this and I will not mm. inoculate myself with needless and pointless, uh, you know, my, the impulse I want to say is capitalistic enterprise. And by that, I simply mean like poppy silliness. I won't, I'll do my best. Mm. I will fail, but I'll do my best to try to stay awake and to stay alert to know mm-hmm. it's, it's a rolling thing. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm going to die one day. That's true. Mm-hmm. But if all, if that's all that's on the horizon, I will not live a very good life. <laughs> No, of course you not. know what I'm saying. Does that make any? I, I, yes. I feel like I'm dipping a finger in all the different pools, and I don't mean, totally mean that. Just trying to draw this thread of fear and being afraid, and that that's what kind of jumped out at me when you reminded me of the scene when he to himself, and that's what it is. Yes, it's it's yeah. it's self speak, self talk. Mm-hmm. This is to him. It's his forest. To us, it keeps coming up. I live here. In yes, me, right. In this mm-hmm. flesh, in this person, and I will not be afraid. Come on, that's powerful. Right, right. And and the, the to be deliberate, the point that I was, you know, uh, so focused on earlier from what you were saying is, you know, what to do when you face disorder. You you seek a new beginning. You mm, you yeah, reorder. You, reorder. you know, like yep. you 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 start afresh. You and I to bring it back home and maybe to land the plane. You and I have, you know, we were talking earlier about that analogy. Uh, we were talking off pod and we brought it up on pod about the analogy of the balloon escaping. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, like y- what prompted me to tell you about that vision that I have in my head is uh, when you said that we were handed opportunities that we've just squandered. We, you know, we were just handed things that we just that were just wasted. And I feel like that is the thing is that that fear makes us lose our grip on yeah. who we are. And where we are and what it means. And, and it is that sense of the understanding that fear is a sickness which will cripple your capacity to know and know who you are and yes. know uh, how it is to, to navigate forward. That Flint Sky, when he says this, my son, do not be afraid, knew. <laughs> right. He was signing, signing his own death warrant when he, when he first word, uttered the words, my son. And then his last words, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like to feel fear is so human and is so natural. And I think it's understandable that we are going to we are going to experience it, but we have to at a certain point recognize like, okay, a, like apocalypse is coming, disorder is coming, destruction is coming. The, the ways in which this the, the, this time and this season and this year has just devastated so many things for so many people um, and, uh, and 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 the ways in which we try to cope with that and try to just move on and pretend that 
it hasn't just changed everything. You know, it's interesting that that you referenced it in passing earlier. The uh, you know, the seek a new beginning and in the Passion of the Christ. Right. That one that's not the film we're talking about, but that one moment, bloody, beaten, battered, broken, that is the moment in in arguably what to me is the most powerful single moment of that film. Mary, his mother, sees him, sees Jesus in the the devastated state and has a flashback to when he was a child and scraped his knee. And she longs to comfort him and she longs to make it better and she longs to make it whole. And then he, in his bloodied, beaten state, looks up at her and says, behold, I make all things new. Mm. Like this, this is the path. That right, we walk. Right. We we walk this and, and we'll probably be echoing a lot of these same sentiments in next week's film, but um we we walk this path and we tread this and we recognize that uh, along the way we will face loss, we will face grief, we will face pain, we will face devastation. Um but then what does Jaguar Paw find, you know, at the end of it? Like we only referenced it in passing, but he gets there to the pit where he has lowered his wife and son and finds her looking up at him with their new child in her arms. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just seek a new beginning, mm-hmm. seek a new beginning. We are, we are handed over something and, over. and we have, and we, we, when we are handed it, then we too frequently let it slip through our fingers and just watch as it drifts away from us. An opportunity for us to recalibrate, reassess, reorder, mm-hmm. and seek a new beginning, and uh, and honestly, like I, I, for me, I I I appreciate so much that thought to uh, to sort of sit with and and sort of you know conclude this apocalypse. this piece of conversation apocalypse. <laughs> um. So yeah, man. You. Uh, yeah. Let's do it. I you ready to go to the fog meter? Let's do, let's do it. it. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Let's do it. Um, okay, so f- the fog meter is our very specific measurement of fear and God, where we rate these films that we watch on their scares and their substance. Um, I'm going to go first with uh, where we're discussing Mel Gibson's Apocalypto from 2006. On the fear measurement, dude, there's some gruesome, gruesome things. And you want to talk about like, when it gets tense, it gets super, super tense. I'm going with an eight on mm. this mm-hmm. on the on the fear measurement. Um, what you got? Uh, I mean that that mama putting giant mutant <laughs> ants pincher heads on her son's wound to seal it up, as, and then snapping ditches. the bodies off is mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. I don't know <laughs> what that is absurd, grotesque, insane. Uh, that Jaguar scene is amazing. Yes. That is oh a feat of filmmaking that results in one of the most grisly moments in the whole film. I kept yes. waiting for Herbert West, the reanimator to haul that thing away. <laughs> uh so oh on the gosh. fear factor I'll, I'll join you it is stressful the the film is stressful um it is tense it is taut mm. um i'm actually gonna hesitate to use the word dreadful i don't know that it is that because dreadful to me implies 
maybe maybe a nihilistic kind of undertone and i don't think this yeah. film has that i would say more harrowing yeah for sure yes for sure yes. harrowing yeah. so i'll join you with an eight um right. what would you uh, say on the god meter <laughs> do it do it it's a 10 how is it not i, I don't know how it isn't. i mean like it is it is uh, sometimes we bring stuff to it that's not there this this thing works on a sociological level it works on an action film level it it, it exceeds the bar for action filmmaking yes and it it's truly does rich a rich rich text no absolutely absolutely yeah it's a 10 for me as well i was gonna like <laughs> yeah just thunderbolt uh, a 10 echoing across this entire film uh it is powerful and affecting we should note because we have not been explicit about it um because yes so let me let me tie this off and then i'll make a comment so 10 for me as well that means that we give mel gibson's apocalypto a 9 out of 10 on the fog meter uh a well-deserved i feel 9 out of 10 on the fog meter and um i'm about to ask the question do you recommend the film um i'm gonna answer it first uh and then i'm gonna ask you but uh i do say because we haven't been really explicit about this that the ransacking of the village specifically because it's a violent film it's a violent film throughout we're a horror podcast violence is to be expected the ransacking of the village is terribly oppressive and 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 you can imagine like you know they they go in uh there there's situations involving children there's situations involving women for those few scenes i feel like the film is never exploitative from my perspective i don't feel like it's it's reveling in what it's showing you but it also does not flinch away from it and to that end there are you know concerns if you are sensitive to that kind of material you should be braced for that i think the film is worth it and therefore i would recommend it highly but there is some content particularly in the first third that is terribly difficult to sit through and uh should not be entered into lightly even given the power of what the film offers you uh on the on the other end of it what say you to that hmm. sort of recommendation thread <laughs> get the family together get the kids in front of the tv and <laughs> fire up apocalypto <laughs> this should be on disney plus family movie night uh, yeah <laughs> disney disney plus come on now um wow. yes i you didn't use this word i kept thinking you would and i was like don't do it don't do it um and i did it does not feel gratuitous uh it is no it is one might say extreme and that might be a fair word true Uh, but again i don't think it's gratuitous though i do echo all of your cautions there it it is a very particular film it is in a dead language Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. uh you're acclimating yourself uh from go to to but i think the power in the film is very quickly you still relate and understand and comprehend what starts happening incredibly universal um so i heartily i mean other than the cautions of just if you don't like a if you don't like it when they don't speak the english or the american (laughs) you might not like it but it's a fantastic film yeah, it's an incredibly unique vision, um, and uh, and and singular and and powerful and affecting. Uh, Robert Duvall, actor I love, called it probably 
the best film he had seen in the last 25 years. Really? In the last quarter, yeah, quarter century. Robert Duvall was a very like, big champion of film. He had had, well, he watched it I'm at the joking. time it was released. Right, right. I know. Um, but it had some big champions like Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee listed it on one of his all-time essential film lists. Like it's got some big, I wish big champions. Mel Gibson could and or could have gotten his junk together more, mm. more profoundly, more cohesively. And yeah, cause, cause yeah. if, if, if even just two more films of a career could have been like this, like that's, that's a hell of a cool. run. Um, it's incredible. No, absolutely. Incredible. What, wait, what's next Reed? All right. So that puts this phase of, or this episode of hashtag in the morning in the books. We are going to our penultimate episode next week. Take note of this. We are only covering episode seven of the leftovers next week. Uh, we're saving episode eight for the finale. So we are covering episode seven of the leftovers next week and join us for Alfonso Cuaron's film, a film I don't know if Nathan and I are going to be able to talk about effectively because of how much it affects us. Um, Children of Men, uh, also from 2006, um, starring Clive Owen. So um, Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men is our penultimate installment in this third phase of In the Morning. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much, as always, for having this conversation with me. Listeners, thank you, as always, for sticking with us for an oversized episode. And uh, as we say on every episode, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!